0: Times Like Now is an interview program, interviews with interesting people who are doing cool stuff. My guest today is Dana Larson, the owner, proprietor of the Coca Leaf Cafe in Vancouver, British Columbia, the first and only cafe in the world serving beverages made from the Cocoa Leaf on this episode of Times Like Now. Hello, Dana Larson. Thank you so much for joining me on the program today. Thanks for your time. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. So you are the proprietor owner of a cafe in Vancouver, British Columbia, but a very, a very unique cafe called the Coca Leaf Cafe. Tell me a little bit about the Coca Leaf Cafe, because usually when people hear coca, they might think cocaine. And tell me more about what you do at the cafe.
1: Well, often, actually, I find people read coca and they think it's cacao or chocolate or something, and I have to explain to them what coca leaf really is. But yeah, of course, coca leaf is the is the the primary source. You can extract cocaine out of it, uh, but in its raw form, it's been used to chew and to make tea for thousands of years. And uh, my life's work is around trying to end the war on drug users and educate people around uh, the benefits and the history and the natural uses of many of these prohibited substances. And uh, so I, I'm pretty much the only place in North America where you can come in and get some coca leaf to chew or, or drink a cup of coca tea, have a coca Chino or other drinks that we've uh, come up with. And uh, I'm really proud of that in terms of being able to help teach people about the benefits and uses of coca leaf and let them have a, a coca leaf or a coca leaf tea experience.
0: Now, what are some of these benefits of of coca leaf? And how long has this been studied? Now, we said, you know, thousands of years, but how long has modern science been really delving into this? And, you know, w- what is it about the, the 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 leaf that is so beneficial and health-wise?
1: Well, you know, we could just as easily be living in a parallel world where coffee was prohibited and coca leaf tea gets sold at Starbucks. Uh, you know, which herbs and, and drugs get prohibited and which are become widely acceptable and mainstream really has a lot more to do with with politics and racism and culture than it really has to do with the intrinsic effects of these substances. Uh, so coca leaf uh, uh, is a plant that is considered really sacred and, and deeply intertwined with the culture of many indigenous peoples uh, in, in South America and has been grown for thousands of years in what is now Peru and Bolivia and Colombia and and other regions like that across South America. Uh, so coca leaf uh, has a number of different alkaloids in it, of which cocaine is the most famous, kind of like THC is the most well-known uh, uh, ingredient in, in cannabis, but there's many others that also have synergistic and medicinal effects. And so coca is the same way. Cocaine is one of many alkaloids. And uh, it seems to me, and a lot of research I think backs this up, that these things are more beneficial when used in their whole natural form than when you just extract one chemical out of it and just use that by itself. Uh so coca uh when it's chewed, it was something alkaline. Uh they they grow the leaves, they dry the leaves, uh then you put them in your mouth in kind of a wad. They'd call that like a a quid of coca leaf, and you add something alkaline to it, which helps to activate uh, the alkaloids. So they would use, depending on the region, they might use seashells, they might use quinoa ash, you could use baking soda, that works fine too but a little pinch of that in the cheek while you're chewing the leaves and you'll get a numbness in your cheek. You'll feel energized. Uh, Coca helps people to uh, uh, use oxygen more uh, uh, properly or more efficiently. Uh, so as a result, uh, your mind is stimulated in that, but your body's also kind of relaxed and your muscles feel soothed. And in the areas where Coca's chewed a lot are typically high altitude areas, uh, especially in Bolivia, uh, where the air is very thin and oxygen is not always accessible. And so it's difficult, you know, as a Westerner, when you go to La Paz in Bolivia, you often have trouble breathing and you kind of feel like you're drowning in the air because there's not enough oxygen. Uh, but they understand you chew some coca leaf or have some coca tea and you feel much better and your body's able to deal with the lack of oxygen in a really remarkable kind of way so it's been used in those areas sort of medicinally to deal with the reality that they live in a low altitude high altitude high altitude low oxygen environment and, uh, and also it makes you feel good. It's good energy. You chew it before working or before engaging in a project, and it uh, can give you more more power and more energy to keep going. Uh, so you can also drink it as a tea. Uh, when you use it as a tea, it takes a little longer to come on, and you don't get kind of a numbing effect in your cheek, but it also works very well. Uh, it's similar to caffeine and its effects, but I would say less jittery and more pleasant in my opinion. Uh, And and certainly caffeine and cocaine or or coffee and and coca leaf are a a classic combination that that wasn't started by Coca-Cola, but certainly was popularized by them uh, during a period in history around the turn of the century. And, And so, you know, I'm not against cocaine use, and I think everything really should be legal if you want to take it. But Really, I think if we lived in a world where coca tea and coca leaf was widely available, then the vast majority of people who wanted to use cocaine would use it in the form of a drink or a gum or a chew, Uh, and that snorting cocaine would be about as popular as snorting caffeine is now and some people certainly do snort caffeine but it's very rare the vast vast majority of caffeine users prefer to drink it in a in a drink or and some small minority might take a pet pill but really if you want a lot of caffeine you just have a triple espresso or something, or drink drink a lot of drinks, you know. And I think that would be the same. And if we banned caffeine, if we lived in a world where caffeine was prohibited, I think people would be snorting caffeine much more often, and we'd have the coca tea drinkers looking down on the caffeine snorters. Uh, it'll kind of like sometimes we get uh, coffee drinkers looking down on cocaine users now. It's all really very arbitrary uh, how this all works.
0: Yes, of course. I, I mean, that's that's various prohibitions throughout our throughout our time in the united states um has proven to be not terribly successful um and yeah and it's said that the cocoa leaf is was maybe instrumental in assisting the incas and maybe other cultures uh, lugging those heavy stones around you said an energy boost i can see how oh that would be would be beneficial well, to uh, a culture like that
1: and you know in, in the region Yeah. And in that region also, they don't have horses, right? There's no animal that's really suitable for, for traveling. Like horses were used in Europe. Uh, you know, they have llamas, but you can't really ride a llama. And so most of their. Stuff is done on foot, and, and it's a very high altitude region, and so oxygen is rare. And so, coca leaf was instrumental for the Inca and empire, and for any other groups that wanted to maintain a, a communication over long distances. You'd have runners uh, who would physically, you know, walk or run that distance. And in fact, they will measure a distance uh, in those areas by how many quids of coca you will need to travel. So, uh, if it's a two quid journey, you know, you're going to need two chews two of coca to get there. And that's just how they would define their, their traveling distance. That's how intertwined these aspects were in their culture. Uh, that is, and so that is incredibly I, useful. I to to, that. Yeah, to maintain the, the Incan Empire and other similar structures, cocoa was was invaluable uh, for, for transport and communication.
0: So one of your drinks here, looking over your menu, which is cocaleafcafe.com, your cocachino. What what is the uh what is the cocachino?
1: Well we wanted to have a little fun with the coca tea and kind of maybe starbucksified a little bit you know so in south america they typically drink coca tea like we drink earl grey where they have a tea bag with some crushed chopped up coca leaves in it they'll put it in a cup of hot water maybe add some sugar or some milk maybe not and drink it that way and that certainly works fine you know but we wanted to change things up a little bit for the canadian or north american audience and so we have a coca-chino. Basically, like a cappuccino, what we do is we make a, a coca brew, we call it, which is a very strong coca tea, and then we treat that like espresso. So we'll add shots of coca brew uh, to hot water to make a coca tea, kind of like an americano. We'll add shots of, of coca brew to uh, with steamed milk and, and syrup to make a cocachino or a, you know, a coca mocha, things like that. So, so we use the, the coca tea in that way, kind of adding shots of coca tea to make all kinds of different uh, types of drinks. Some people dislike it really plain and just we'll just have coca tea, just coca brew with hot water and that's it. Others want chocolate syrup and whipped cream on top and cinnamon and all this kind of fancy stuff. And, you know, we can do it up however you like it.
0: That's very engaging. That sounds like a, a place I would like to visit. I'm going to have to come up and, and see, uh, see you very soon. So let me just to be clarifying, you can walk into your place completely legal and chew on some coca leaf.
1: Well, legality is an interesting question. And although I'd say we actually do a lot more than just coca, we also sell silo mushrooms. We have a mushroom dispensary attached. We sell kratom, which is a very useful herb for people dealing with opiate withdrawal and opiate and pain relief issues. Uh, We sell peyote plants and and peyote, dried peyote, which is actually, is legal in Canada. Peyote is specifically exempted from Canadian law. But the questions around coca leaf are, are interesting legally. I would argue that it is legal in Canada because we of a charter of rights and a constitution and I believe that the, the prohibition of coca leaf would be deemed unconstitutional if it was fought in court and I have a lot of great lawyers who agree with me on that but under the letter of Canadian law uh, coca leaf and a, a gram of cocaine are, are are treated equally under the law, both prohibited as a Schedule I drug. But that being said, I'm not aware of any Canadian ever being charged for coca leaf or coca tea. And you can find coca tea in the odd other shop. No one has like a cafe like I do, but you can find boxes of, of coca tea that are imported from Peru and in the odd other place here and there across Canada. Uh, so the way that it's enforced on the ground is different than what the law says. And and I'm in Vancouver, a city where uh, we have very progressive politicians when it comes to drug policy. The police really don't raid uh, uh, people for for selling things like this. They don't really charge people for possession anymore in Vancouver. But I am breaking the law, and this is an act of civil disobedience, although I would really be surprised if I ended up in court uh, for selling coca tea. I don't think anybody really wants to have that legal fight, and they would probably lose if they did
0: right right and i i think you're you're onto something there with you know there would be so many so many claims made for religious freedoms or things like that upon something like this is that kind of the angle that you think might be taken
1: yeah. I mean, I, I, my, I really come from a background of cannabis and cannabis dispensaries. I opened Vancouver's third cannabis dispensary probably you know, 12 or 13 years ago now. Uh, I was kind of instrumental in, in getting dispensaries opened across the country before legalization came into play. And it was, in that in those cases, we were selling cannabis that was illegal and prohibited, but the court's supported medical access to cannabis and the Canadian government's legal system for for medical marijuana access was deeply flawed. So judges would normally side with dispensaries or certainly not be willing to give them long jail sentences, making it kind of pointless for the police to come after. And many cities just kind of gave up. And in fact, some cities were giving out business licenses for cannabis shops before cannabis was legal in Canada as an effort to try to gain control over this at the civic level. So you know i feel that that along with the mushrooms that we sell the psilocybin mushrooms you know no one's really brought coca leaf like to the fore like this or really challenged it in the same way. Because unlike cannabis and and mushrooms, coca, you don't grow it in Canada. So you've got to bring it into the country and it makes it much more challenging to open a place like I have done. You know, it's not too hard to open a cannabis shop or a mushroom shop, at least in terms of supply in Canada. Those things are readily available.
0: That brings up a question, Dana, I had. How do you get your coca leaves into your shop and into canada well
1: i spent a couple of years down in south america uh, on and off on uh, meeting people and doing experiments and uh you know luckily uh in canada when coca leaf does get seized uh, they're not really interested in trying to charge anybody or coming after you they just take it and send you a letter in the mail saying we, we took your leaves So in terms of that, the risk is mainly financial more than the cops showing up and dragging me into court for some coca leaf. But uh, people approach me all the time wanting me to franchise or help them get started or wholesale them kilos of coca leaf. And I can't do that because I've only really got enough for my shop to keep going. Uh, but it's a green. You know, the bringing in the whole coca leaf is also a real challenge because it's very obvious what it looks like. But once the leaf has been powdered or ground up into a flower, which is how we use it for the tea, it's really just a green powder. And there's lots of green powders out there. And so mainly, it's just putting a label on it that's different. But it is challenging. <clears throat> and in these countries, usually, you know, here in North America, if you want to mail something, they don't make you show them what it is at the post office, but they certainly do in South America. So it takes a bit of bravery and a bit of good connections down there for people willing to send the product up. Uh, But uh, unfortunately, bringing whole coca leaf in, which is really the best for chewing, uh, is much more challenging. Uh, but, you know, I'm working on it and there's a lot of people down there who, who really love coca and want to see it available around the world. And I think they believe rightly that uh, if coca leaf and coca tea is more available and understood in Canada that's and, and in the U.S. and other countries, if that, that helps them. Uh, down there to to fight for legalization and an end to the coca wars. So, a lot of folks down there, I think, are, are happy to see coca leaf in Canada and other countries uh, as a, and a, it's a product they they believe in and that they're happy to help me try to get it into the country.
0: I see. So, besides the coca and coca uh, foods and drinks you're doing there, what else are you offering there behind the counter?
1: Well, we have live coca plants, and that's actually extremely rare and even more challenging because coca seeds are very hard to work with. They don't have a long shelf life. You've got to germinate them quite quickly, and the plants are a bit finicky until you get them going, but we sell live coca plants. But really, we also, you know, it's it's, it's called the Coca Leaf Cafe and Medicinal Mushroom Dispensary, and uh, about, a, about a year and a half ago or so, I, I announced in, in here in Vancouver that I was going to be opening uh, a mail-order mushroom dispensary, and we were going to open a storefront as soon as we could. Uh, COVID kind of got in the way of, of getting that going until a couple of months ago where we added in the mushrooms to our coca leaf cafe. So any adult can come down and get microdoses if they want. So that would be a, a capsule up to about one tenth of a gram of, of dried mushrooms in a neutral base. And microdosing is when you use a sub threshold amount. So you get like feelings of, of stress relief, of relief from anxiety and depression and PTSD. but without a psychedelic level kind of an experience. So we sell microdoses there to any adult. If you're looking to buy grams of dried mushrooms or mushroom chocolates or things like that for a a higher level uh, psychedelic type breakthrough experience, we'll sell those to you too. But we require some kind of medical documentation that you've got sort of a medical need to access this kind of experience, uh, which is very similar to how cannabis dispensaries were structured in Canada when they really first, started you know 10 15 years ago and i think a lot of the same legal arguments apply and in fact in canada right now we've got some first few people who have been allowed by the federal government to access silo mushrooms for for terminal illness for for therapy for ptsd and trauma which was very similar to how and using the same kind of legal tactics that worked for medicinal cannabis so many years ago and so I think that we're operating in the same kind of light gray area of the law that allowed ultimately many hundred cannabis dispensaries to operate openly in Canada before legalization happened. And another herb that we sell is called Kratom that some of your listeners might be familiar with. It's spelled K-R-A-T-O-M. Sometimes pronounced kratom, and it's a it's a leaf from a tree that grows in Southeast Asia, Asia, and areas like uh, Vietnam and Indonesia. And um, these leaves have sort of opiate like properties but are a lot less risky to use than opiates like heroin or fentanyl and things like that. Uh, you can it's, It comes in another green powder. A lot of these things are green powders. You can eat the cap powder, take it in a capsule, mix it into a tea, but it provides uh, pain relief, uh, euphoria, similar to opiates, but the 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 risk of overdose is much different you know if you overdose on heroin or fentanyl you stop breathing and you can potentially die if you overdose on kratom you're going to feel nauseous and throw up which isn't fun but you're not going to be risking your you know life and death and we have a lot of clients we're actually located just just on the edge of the downtown east side which is that part of Vancouver where they push all the homeless people and all the street drug users to kind of congregate. And we're kind of on the edge of that area. And so certainly we get people who are, are opiate users who are using Kratom as a, as an alternative, and it's really beneficial for them uh, to swap out their heroin use for their Kratom use if that can work for them. Uh, and it's easier to, to judge your Kratom use. If you're looking to quit opiates entirely, it's easy to to wean yourself off kratom than it is to try to wean yourself off of street drugs of unknown potency. So, it's another really wonderful plant. We also sell things like damiana and and uh, uh, mullen and other sort of herbs that aren't really heavily psychoactive, but do have some of those kind of benefits as well for people. So we really. We're about like ending the drug war by providing safe access to these substances in their safest forms that we can provide them in, uh, and it's really nowhere else like this on planet Earth where you can walk in and get a cup of coca tea and a mushroom chocolate and a bag of kratom at the same time. That that's absolutely unique what we're doing here in Vancouver.
0: Yeah, very much so, and and. Looking over your website and reading a bit and just from speaking to you, it sounds like this is also a, a kind of a center for education, for culture, for, I suppose, outreach and communication among the initiate and the uninitiated people that might be new, wanting to know, you know, more about this. And those who are far more experienced, those people can greet, gather and mix and share ideas and and uh, experience very beneficial. And again, as you said, nowhere in the world that I have ever heard of is doing this. Um, What brought you to this? You said you've been a a cannabis uh, dispensary owner. How about before that?
1: Well, I'm 50 years old, and this, this path really started for me over 30 years ago when I was a high school student and in university. I started learning about the benefits of cannabis and the hemp and all this kind of stuff and understanding that what we call the war on drugs is really one of the greatest problems in our society, one of the greatest civil rights violations. It's intrinsically tied into so many other issues uh, and, and it needs to be dismantled. And so I, I didn't really know exactly what I was getting into, but I kind of decided this was going to be a something for me to do with my life and I you know in university I uh, started a club on campus called the League for Ethical Action on Drugs we'd have speakers come in and and to talk about these issues and try to put on some rallies and some protests Uh, I was editor of a magazine uh, called Cannabis Culture after I, I graduated from university I started working on this project and became editor of this magazine which I worked on for for 10 years Uh, I opened uh, the Vancouver Seed Bank to sell cannabis seeds uh, uh, and other seeds too. And then I opened uh, the Vancouver Medicinal Cannabis Dispensary about 12 years ago, and that uh, became a huge project in encouraging other Canadians to, to open their own dispensaries and you know I I guess what makes my work a little different I certainly wasn't the first person in Canada to to open a, a cannabis shop I was one of the first you know one of one of the first ones but I think what made it different was that we really encouraged others to copy us and we tried to teach other people how to open their own dispensaries and their own cannabis shops all across the country. And, you know, to me, it's kind of a a movement and I didn't really seek to, or think I ever could like monopolize the the marijuana trade in Canada. But what I thought was we could build an army of people and businesses that are hopefully uh, being able to provide cannabis to those who need it. And then also taking the profits they make and putting that back in, to to supporting an end to prohibition to teaching people about cannabis and to to fight for change in the laws and although cannabis was my focus for the first few decades I really have always seen this being more than just about marijuana it's really about I mean it's all all these things ultimately are sacred plants in their natural form sometimes it's hard to see that when you see uh uh, you know, some powdered cocaine or some fentanyl or something. But really, the roots of these things are plants like opium poppies, coca leaves, uh, psilocybe mushrooms, peyote cactus, cannabis flowers. And uh, and in these forms, especially, the benefits are much greater and the risks are much lesser. And so I, I believe all of drug war and prohibition should end. But I really think that if if the natural forms of these things are available, people tend towards those as users. And we see this now with legal cannabis for instance what's the the fastest growing aspect of cannabis post legalization it's cbd it's not edibles that are so strong you hallucinate most users don't want that they want milder stuff and they want cbd products and we see this with psychedelics is that as psychedelics are becoming more mainstream and more uh, cl- approaching legalization and and that uh, what's the most popular fastest growing thing it's not heroic doses of of psychedelics where you're, where you're totally tripping out and and having profound experiences. It's more about microdosing and taking smaller dosages. And, you know, coffee is just as legal as caffeine powder is. You can go buy pounds of caffeine powder quite cheaply and snort it if you want to. But the vast majority of of coffee, caffeine users prefer it in a milder form in a, in a drink or a Coca-Cola or a cup of coffee or something. And so prohibition really drives us towards these more extreme and more more potent forms, not because users demand it, but because prohibition pushes people towards that. Why would you smuggle, unless you're me, why would you smuggle coca leaf when you can smuggle cocaine and get a hundred times the profits with a hundred times less risk because it's such a small amount needed. So prohibition always pushes us towards the stronger forms of these substances and legalization always leads towards people using milder forms. And so This has been kind of a a life quest for me. And although we certainly have a lot of work to do on cannabis laws in Canada, after the law changed in 2018, I thought it was a time to sort of broaden the debate. And while I continue to to talk about cannabis and our cannabis laws in Canada have plenty of flaws, which I'd be happy to discuss at depth maybe in another interview. But but I think it's time to start talking about these things. And you know, not only in Canada, but around the world, but especially in the city of Vancouver where I live, the fentanyl death crisis is immense and is killing more people than COVID it's killing more people than almost anything else and it's entirely the cause of government policy that restricts access to milder forms of these substances and has driven the the opioid industry over the last century from opium tea and smoking opium which has some risks but essentially is pretty harmless behavior uh, to morphine to heroin and now to fentanyl and carfentanyl. that's the iron law of prohibition that drugs get stronger and more dangerous when they're prohibited and so uh, I'm trying to find a path back away from prohibition and towards the more natural forms of these things and that's that's what I'm doing with this cafe and dispensary
0: that's a a, a very honorable uh, honorable uh, direction and goal and I think you're really on to something there the the pharmaceutical industries have taken these things uh, once once you know, honorable and, and decent healing plants and turn them into absolute poisons for for the public and for the people. And we see that, as you said, in the record deaths every year, and it's, it shows no signs of 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 stopping or slowing either. Um, I think yeah,
1: I, it, I think. Yeah, we got to bring back the opium dens, you know, and bring back opium parlors. And, and, and we, what we, what we do instead is we enable pharmaceutical companies to sell the most potent and addictive forms of these substances while still keeping the milder forms prohibited. And it, it really is a backward situation
0: right it's clearly a, a money driven and a large corporate pharmaceutical driven um end game in mind you know <laughs> they're going to take it all to the bank and leave a trail uh behind them and i wish you well i really do uh i want to come up to to bc and visit you see your cafe have uh, uh some pastries in addition to the the other things you also have normal espresso drinks and normal um uh, pastries for for those uh, not interested in in buying, bean. and the website. Please share the website with me.
1: Well, I've got a few websites I'll direct you to. CocaLeafCafe.com is for the cafe, and Dispensary.com is for our mushroom dispensary. I'm online at Larson.com, and that's D-A-N-A-L-A-R-S-E-N. And I do a bunch of other stuff too. Actually, I run a, a clinic in Vancouver where anybody can come and get any street drug tested, and we'll tell you what's in it for free with a five-minute spectrometer analysis. And that's online at GetYourDrugsTested.com. And we've actually got like 16,000 samples we've tested now over the last couple of years. It's the largest online repository of drug analysis results in the world. And we're able to see trends as to what's, you know, what's happening with, with MDMA or with cocaine or other substances over time and to analyze things. And it's really fascinating as well and probably a whole other conversation. But uh, it's a free service we offer in Vancouver by mail as well. Uh, anybody can mail in a sample, just the tiniest little bit, and we can analyze it and tell people what it is. And uh, that's at GetYourDrugsTested.com. dot com.
0: Dana Larson from the Cocoa Leaf Cafe in Vancouver, British Columbia. Thank you so much for your time. It's been an education and a pleasure to speak with you. And yeah, maybe I get to meet you. Shake your hand someday soon.
1: Definitely come up to Vancouver and uh, say hi. And that's spelled H-I-G-H.
0: Thanks again. Sounds Like Now is an interview program of interviews with interesting people doing cool stuff. You can find past episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you to the letter J Cody Robertson, for his original music. My name is Trevor Collins. I can be reached, Trevor, at timeslikenow.com. I look forward to speaking with you all next time.